You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Pat O'Keefe with you for the next three hours on this Thursday night. Different than last night. Last night we had not one but two local baseball games to react to. Both the Yanks and the Mets were in the books by the time we hit the airwaves. Uh, Both teams, as we discussed at length, and we'll do so again this evening, headed in different directions for the time being. We'll get into plenty on both, especially the Yankees. Aaron Boone was a guest on the Michael K. Show earlier this afternoon, so we'll replay some of his thoughts on the overall status of the team and the organization as it has now lost seven of its last eight games. Off day today for the Yankees. They head to Fenway Park for a weekend series against the Red Sox starting tomorrow. And an off day for the Mets as they head to or they head to City Field. They remain at City Field. Uh, for a weekend series against the Philadelphia Phillies. The Mets 15-2 and over their last 17 games. They lost their first two games out of the All-Star break. They knew the trade deadline was coming. They knew that Jacob deGrom was coming back, and they have taken it to another level. And since the trade deadline reinforcements, and since Jacob deGrom has returned with two spectacular performances the Mets have taken it to another level still the second best team record-wise in all of baseball just chasing the Dodgers and they'll have their shot at the Dodgers at City Field later on this month so you got that an important night on the gridiron you heard Kevin Winter in the update at the top of the hour preseason football getting going this weekend and a couple of games tonight including your New York football giants in New England to take on the Patriots and both teams handling it differently. Um, Bill Belichick's Patriots resting most of their starters. No Mac Jones. The core guys are not expected to play tonight at Foxborough. Different story for the Giants, and that's what you have to do when you're a struggling um, well, franchise. It's been a bad week for trying to build yourself up that's I mean Aaron Boone knows it's been a bad week it's been a bad couple of years for the New York Giants when you're at the point that Brian Dayball is with these guys and Joe Shane is with these guys all you know is that they've lost about four times as many games as they've won over the last five years so you know what let's see what they've got I keep going back to something that Jordan Renan told me last weekend when I had him on he was giving his uh you know weekly update with me on Giants training camp regarding He was speaking about Saquon Barkley, but you could also lump Daniel Jones into this. Both of those guys, if they don't perform this year, then they're gone. This is the last year of each of their contracts. Last year of the rookie deal for Saquon Barkley, and it's the last year of Daniel Jones' contract since the Giants did not pick up his fifth-year option. So not to sound cruel and heartless about this, but right now, the long-term health like beyond this year for Barkley and for Daniel Jones not top of the priority list for Joe Shane and Brian Dayball because they don't even know if they're going to be part of the organization beyond this year. Now, you hope they are if you're a Giants fan because if they are, then that likely means that they took a huge step forward this year. That is the luxury that Shane has coming in and trying to rebuild this roster. I mean, the one favor that Dave Gettleman did to Joe, did for Joe Shane. Well, two favors. One was the extra first-round pick that they got this year in the Justin Fields trade, getting being able to get not only Kayvon Thibodeau, but Evan Neal as well. That was a big favor. But the other favor is Gettleman was just so bad, so bad during his tenure in New York that Shane's going to have a little bit of time here. 
So today's our first opportunity to see what exactly he has to work with. The reports about Daniel Jones have not been overly encouraging during training camp. But again, they're about to kick off. We'll follow along. It's our first chance to see Daniel Jones against other competition. But also keep in mind, New England not playing their guys. So he's going against second stringers. He's going against a lot of guys that are probably not going to be in the NFL this season. We'll see how it all plays out. Also the Field of Dreams game, which last year, if you remember, it was right around this time. The Yankees and the White Sox in Dyersville, Iowa, played at the site of the famous 1989 Kevin Costner movie. And the game turned out to be just an incredible First of all, experience, all the pomp and circumstance and the nostalgia surrounding the movie. They brought Kevin Costner back out, the old-time uniforms, the corn stalks beyond the outfield fence. It was just a great scene for television. And then the game turned out to be unbelievable. There were eight home runs in the game. It was a back-and-forth affair. Judge hit a home run into the corn. Uh, Brett Gardner hit a home run. In the top of the ninth inning, Giancarlo Stanton hit a go-ahead home run and it looked like that was going to lead to a Yankees win. And then Tim Anderson hit the walk-off home run off of Zach Britton, a very difficult loss for the Yankees. But as far as Major League Baseball was concerned as an event, pregame atmosphere, ambiance, and then quality of entertainment within the game, it was everything. It was everything they could have hoped for. Now, unfortunately, you got two pretty bad teams playing tonight. you got the Reds. And you got the Cubs, two historic franchises, so that's nice. I think they might be the two oldest franchises in all of professional baseball, but not two, uh, two not very good teams battling each other. So, th- you know, that's fun if you're into that sort of thing. I was watching some of the pregame uh, coverage on Fox, and I do have some thoughts on that. Alex Rodriguez, part of that. David Ortiz, part of that. Uh, but talking to the players, uh, Joey Votto, of the Cincinnati Reds, Patrick Wisdom of the Chicago Cubs, David Ross, the manager of the Chicago Cubs. These guys are all into it. And I I feel like it's genuine. A lot of times professional athletes feign excitement. I I think this is really a special and unique thing. It was really fun to watch last year. It was also fun from a local standpoint because we had one of our two teams involved in the Yankees, which added a little extra kick. Um, But that's going on tonight as well. The big news for me and this is what I want to get into off the top of the show tonight, was the NBA's historic announcement today that Bill Russell's number six will be retired league-wide starting this coming season. Now, what that means is any player who is currently wearing number six and wants to continue to do so will have the option until he retires from the NBA. So the players that are currently wearing number six are going to be grandfathered in. But no team, and let me me amend that statement, excuse me, they can continue to wear number six with their current teams. No team starting this coming season can issue number six to a player ever again, unless that player is already wearing number six. And notable players who are currently wearing number six, well, the most notable is LeBron James. Um... Chris Stapps Porzingis is number six for the Washington Wizards. Lou Williams is number six. He's, you know, the fantastic six man. LeBron James is the big name of a player who is currently wearing number six. And there's a little bit of symmetry in that, too. Wouldn't it be cool? And and it's going to be very difficult because, uh, you know, LeBron James is coming towards the end of his career. But wouldn't it be cool if LeBron happened to be the last active player 
to wear the number six. It would be very, very similar to after Major League Baseball retired number 42 in honor of Jackie Robinson in 1997. Same thing. Players who were already wearing number 42 were grandfathered in. Once they moved on to a different team or left the game, those number 42s were retired until the last 42 standing in Major League Baseball was Mariana Rivera. And there was something special about that because you were honoring an all-time great, an icon in Jackie Robinson. And I always felt that there was something a little extra special about the fact that the last man to wear that number was one of the greatest of all time. We could have that scenario in the NBA. It would be nice if it played out that way. And also, you have to realize, and I understand that LeBron James isn't the most popular guy. You know, his politics bother some people. Um, The way he acts on the court sometimes bothers some people. But let's also, beyond the basketball, let's mention how much work LeBron James has done for the community, for people in need off of the court throughout his career. I mean, he developed a school, the I Promise School, in Akron, Ohio, which is designed to give kids who otherwise not would not have certain opportunities the opportunity to get an education and to further that education in college. So say what you want about LeBron James. You, people think he's outspoken sometimes. People think that sometimes he's not a great teammate. He thinks he's above those who play with him. And Whether that's true or not, that's not important here. LeBron James, in addition to his playing, in addition to what you think of him as a guy or as a teammate, LeBron James is a guy who has done a lot of good off the court. And that is a big part of the Bill Russell story. Now, Bill Russell is the ultimate winner in professional sports. If you actually go down his basketball reference page and you go year by year and don't even look at his statistics, but... You look at what his team did year by year. They won the championship every single year. This past June, we had multiple conversations about Stephen Curry. As Curry won his fourth NBA championship and went to the NBA Finals for a sixth time and won Finals MVP for the first time. And the point of the conversation, the basis of the conversation was Where does this latest accomplishment, this latest championship, play Stephen Curry among the all-time greats? And we were, and for me, it was pretty high. I think, and I don't have my my final updated list in front of me, but I think I landed Curry at about number 12 all-time, the 12th greatest player of all time after his most recent championship. Think about that. That's four titles and six finals appearances. Now, I know it was a different league. There were fewer teams. There were fewer teams in the playoffs. You had to advance through fewer rounds to get to the finals and to win the championship. But the one thing that remained the same, one team won the championship every single year. And Bill Russell played in the NBA for 13 seasons. He came out of the University of San Francisco in 1956. As a rookie, he led the Boston Celtics to the NBA championship in 1957. The next year, they lost to the St. Louis Hawks and Bob Pettit, an all-time great player. And Bill Russell said to the day he died that he was injured in that series. Not sour grapes. He wouldn't bring it up. But if somebody would mention the 1958 NBA Finals between the Celtics and the St. Louis Hawks, Russell would point out that he was not playing at 100%. And who would doubt him? Because 
after winning the title in 57, coming up just short in 58. They win the championship in 59, 1960, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, and 1966. They won eight consecutive NBA championships with different guys. I mean, when that run began, Bob Cousy, Queens, New York native, Cousy was the point guard, and along with Russell, was kind of the co-face of that Celtics dynasty. By the end of it, 1966, it was a whole new supporting cast around Bill Russell. The one constant, well, the two constants were the head coach, Red Auerbach, and the man in the middle, Bill Russell. And then Auerbach steps down, and Bill Russell becomes the first black head coach or manager in North American Major League Professional Sports history. And they lost the championship in 1957. They didn't win. They came up short. They lost to Will Chamberlain in Philadelphia in 1967. And in 1968 and 69, still as the player coach, he wins two more championships before he ends his career. So you look at a guy like LeBron James or even Carmelo Anthony, you know, still kicking around the NBA, not as high a level as LeBron James, of course. But nowadays, it's common to see guys play 15, 16-year careers. Uh, LeBron James is going on 20 years. Carmelo Anthony, if he can play this year, will be on a 20-year career. That's commonplace now with the medicine, with the improvements in travel, with the amenities provided to these players. Back then, careers were 10, 12, 13 years. This guy called it quits after 13 years. And he didn't have to go on because he won 11 championships in those 13 years. All he ever did was win. And you go back to what he did in college before he got to the NBA. He went to the University of San Francisco because most big-time schools in the big-time conferences like the ACC or the SEC, they wouldn't allow black players to play back then. So he had to go to a northern school. He was from Louisiana. He was born in Louisiana. He had to go to a northern school to be able to play Division One. Well, they only had Division One, but to be able to play, quote-unquote, big-time college basketball. And I don't know how big-time college basketball San Francisco was before he got there. He obviously made it big-time college basketball because with Bill Russell on the team at the University of San Francisco, they won the NCAA championship in 1955 and 1956. He won the Olympic gold medal in 1956, and then he went on to the NBA to do what I just said he did for 13 years. So it was just an incredible career as a player, but that doesn't begin to tell the story of the impact that Bill Russell had. Bill Russell in the 1960s stood up and used his voice for those who did not have a voice. He was a monumental figure in the civil rights movement. He didn't like the way that black people were being treated in this country. And at that time, I mean, think about that. There are people today who are afraid to speak up for things that they see that are wrong. Now, fortunately, we've gone in the other direction and more people feel comfortable speaking out against injustice. And a large part of that is because uh, whether it's athletes, whether it's celebrities, people who have a following, people who have more of a presence in society, once they started using their voices, others who didn't necessarily have their platform started feeling comfortable using their voices as well. 
But think about the era in which Bill Russell was coming of age and was a professional athlete. It was the 1960s. Now, I'm 43 years old, and through my lifetime, even until today, you see examples of people not feeling comfortable for fear of backlash, for fear of retribution, of using their voice to speak out against injustice. He did this in the 1960s, along with Muhammad Ali. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came along later and was part of that. These were the influential, um, obviously Martin Luther King in the 1960s, the greatest example of a leader with a platform using his voice to speak out against injustice, but he couldn't do it alone. And Bill Russell was very, very important in speaking out. And think about the courage that that had to take for him to do in that time in this country. And on top of that, I mean, this is a minute, and there's been a lot of uh, a lot written about those Boston Celtics dynasties. There have been documentaries about them. There's a terrific 30 for 30 that ESPN produced. It's called Best of Enemies. It's a three-part documentary on the Boston Celtics-Los Angeles Lakers rivalry. And they take you through a lot of the off-court racism that Bill Russell had to face during his career. Bill Russell, the best player in Boston, the best athlete in Boston, who won championship after championship after championship for that team and in that city. And stories of he'd be on a road trip and people would break into his home and vandalize his home and defecate inside his bedroom like the most disgusting, vile stuff you could imagine. You, not, not to separate people based on their status, but that is vile and disgusting no matter who it is done to. But then just think about the context of it as being done to the most prominent athlete in that city. That's what he had to deal with during his career, and he was not afraid to fight back against it, to speak out against it, and help pave the way. And through his courage, through his voice, through his determination to that cause, he made things better. Now, did he make them perfect? No. I mean, it has, it's still not perfect. It has been a very, very, very long road. But if it wasn't for people like Bill Russell using their platform and using their voice at that time in this country, then the progress that has been made would have been a lot more slow coming. And that is why this is a monumental decision. And this decision by the NBA is beyond his basketball. It's beyond his winning. It encompasses everything that Bill Russell in his 88 years stood for as a human being and good for the NBA. All right. We're just getting started here on a Thursday night. Pat O'Keefe with you. Uh, typical giants. They march right down the field on their first drive. Boom, boom, boom. First down, first down, first down. And I'm watching out of the corner of my, eye, of course, as I'm going through my uh, Bill Russell take, but they end up with a field goal. I don't know the details of the drive, but it's typical giants. And again, it's the giant starters playing against backups for the New England Patriots, how many times? And here we go. Here's our opportunity to overreact to one drive, the opening drive of preseason. But we're not going to see Daniel Jones out there all night tonight in the uh, first-team offense. 
How many times have we seen that from the Giants? From the 25-yard line where you start the drive to the opposing team's 25-yard line, you cannot be stopped. And then once you get inside that aptly named red zone, all of a sudden, you can't go anywhere anymore. And what seemed like a surefire seven points turns into three. Just the first drive of the preseason, but that's where we are with the Giants and the Patriots in New England. Your calls, 1-800-919-3776. Again, we'll get into the Yankees and the Mets plenty. Uh, more on the NBA honoring Bill Russell um, and your thoughts on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Here's what the Giants did on their opening drive. They got a first down on third and four when Daniel Jones scrambled up the middle for six yards. Then on uh, second and five from their own 42, Jones hit Darius Slayton for 17 yards for another first down. The very next play, another 17-yard completion for Daniel Jones. So now into New England territory. Third and 10 at the Patriots' 24-yard line. And the Pats had too many men on the field, so that gave the Giants third and five. And Jones hit Saquon Barkley in the flat for eight yards and another first down. So then the Giants had first and 10 at the New England 11. They got into a shotgun on first down. Barkley ran for three yards. Shotgun on second down. Barkley ran for one yard. And on third and six from the New England 7, Jones threw an incomplete pass to Kenny Galladay. So the Giants had to settle for a 25-yard Graham Gano field goal. So the Giants have the ball back, their second possession. Jones was three out of six for 42 yards on his first drive. 1-800-919-3776 here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Let's go to the phones and say hello to Richard in Manhattan. Richard, how are you doing tonight? Hi, Pat. Pat, I love that analogy. Analogy when you went with Mariano and Jackie Robinson, LeBron and Bill Russell, and uh, Bill. I mean, you you'd, you'd have to question who had a more impactful career: Robinson, Jackie Robinson, or Bill Bill Russell. Uh, it's ironic. Jackie Robinson went to the University of California at L.A., and Bill Russell went to the University of California at San Francisco. So yep. it's a great analog. Uh, Analgy, it was great. Uh, beautiful. It was thank wonderful. You, thank you. That was great. I re- now, I got to correct you. Oh, by the way, Bob Cousy just turned 94. Yep. And still sharp. He gave a pretty uh, well-distributed interview on Sirius XM NBA Radio over the summer where he was responding to J.J. Redick, now an ESPN analyst, for kind of uh, poking fun at the players who were playing in Bob Cousy's day. And Cousy shot right back at him. If you haven't heard that interview, it was pretty entertaining. Oh, we lost Richard. I think he was getting to another point. Uh, always appreciate you uh, checking in. But, yeah, that would be – and I don't know if that's going to you know, be able to, to work out. I, I wish there was – I mean, first of all, LeBron James might play forever, you know, um, the, the shape that he's in. Uh, LeBron James, by the way, I'll, I'll look this up during the next commercial break. Not, I think there's a decent chance if he performs at the level he's played his last couple of years and – doesn't spend a significant amount of time out injured. I think there's a chance that LeBron becomes the NBA's all-time leading scorer this season. I'll have to double-check that, but he's closing in on that. But you think about the sports that have done that. The NHL, when Wayne Gretzky retired in 1999, finished his career here in New York with the Rangers. The NHL retired Gretzky's 99 throughout the league. 99, by the way, becoming a very, very 
popular number in Major League Baseball and in Little League Baseball, which is where I spend uh, a lot of my time coaching my son's eight and under travel baseball team this summer. We've got a number 99 on our team. Shout out to Aiden Vandaloo. Every team you play in Little League Baseball in every one of these towns now has a number 99, which obviously started with Aaron Judge. But that's a digression. So the NHL retires Gretzky's number 99 in 99. Major League Baseball, as I said, retired Jackie Robinson's number 42 in 1997. And Mariano Rivera, and I always thought that held a lot of significance, that Mariano Rivera, and it held a lot of significance to Mo, by the way. And the Yankees um, held a lot of significance to them, that he was the last one in Major League Baseball wearing number 42. And think about that. They retired it in 97. Rivera played 16 more seasons after they retired it. So he, by far and away, was the last man wearing number 42. Now, I'll just say this. I, I, I do think that there's a path for LeBron James to be the last man wearing number seven, uh, six in the NBA. Because, first of all, as we'll get into <laughs> throughout the course of the night, the NBA, in case you haven't been paying attention, is a very transient league. Like, the second most prominent current NBA player who wears number six is Chris Stapps Porzingis, who's already on his third different team. And the word prominent used to describe Chris Stapps Porzingis is used extremely loosely. You know, Lou Williams wears number six. Montrez Harrell wears number six. So I think there's a way for these guys to move on change teams, and LeBron James is the last man standing wearing number six in the NBA. By the way, taking a look at this Field of Dreams game right now in Dyersville, Iowa, top of the first inning, and the Cubs, who are having an awful season, as are the Cincinnati Reds, the Cubs are all over the young Red starter Nick Lodolo. They already lead three to nothing. This is such an incredible scene. And it also is helped by the fact that it starts at 7.15 hour time, it's 6.15 in the Midwest at first pitch. I mean, the shadows are just kind of crossing the field. They do such a tremendous job with this whole production. It's not easy. I mean, you got to basically build the field from scratch, play the game, break it down, store all the outfield walls and the nostalgic scoreboards and everything like that, and keep it on ice until next year. So it is quite the undertaking. But I remember this last year, and I think part of it, especially around here, because I was hosting – this show, the night that they played the game, and I was hosting the show the next day after the game, which, as we said, was a tremendous game. Last year, it was the top story, the top sports story nationwide last year. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the case this year. First of all, last year, you had the Yankees. You had Aaron Judge homering. You had another all-star in Tim Anderson hitting a walk-off home run. It was a tremendous game. It was the first time that they put on this production. I don't know that the Reds and the uh, Cubs we will see how the game turns out tonight. I don't know if it's going to be top story throughout the nation tomorrow, but think about, you know, not to turn this into a referendum on baseball, but think about how seldom that is the case, that baseball is the topic of conversation on a national level. I mean, let's be honest. Tomorrow morning, you turn on Get Up on ESPN, which is what I do every morning at 8 o'clock, and what are they going to be talking about first? They're going to be talking about probably the Giants and the Patriots, a meaningless preseason football game will be the top story nationally over this incredible scenic atmospheric nostalgic game 
in Dyersville, Iowa, the Field of Dreams game. Giants, by the way, went scoreless on their second drive, so um, New England has the ball back. It's 3-0 Giants in the first quarter in New England. Again, uh, the Giants playing their guys in the first quarter. Anyway, we'll see how far they go beyond that. New England electing to sit most of their guys. Uh, The Jets made uh, an important move today. They acted swiftly. They acted decisively uh, to the Mekhi Becton injury, bringing in an offensive lineman with a pedigree so they don't let this story linger. It's been a really optimistic training camp for the Jets so far. There are still obviously concerns, as there should be for a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in more than a decade. And there's concerns for the Giants as well. Uh, We'll touch on the Jets move. We'll continue to follow the Giants. And I'll ask you this. What, as a Jets fan or a Giants fan, what concerns you the most this season? Because I think there's optimism on both sides. There seems to be more optimism on the Jets side. I think they are farther along in the rebuilding process, especially with their current regime. I don't know that it's going to lead to the playoffs for either two teams. In fact, if I were a betting man, I would say it's not going to lead to a playoff appearance for either team. But even with optimism in certain areas, you know, for the Giants, it's Kayvon Thibodeau, it's Evan Neal, it's maybe the best offensive line that has protected Daniel Jones. For the Jets, it's Garrett Wilson, it's uh, Corey Davis, it's uh, Elijah Moore, it's these skill position players, it's seeing Carl Lawson play, finally. It's maybe seeing C.J. Mosley play a full season, finally. There is optimism, but even where there is optimism, there are serious areas of concern. So I'll ask you, your biggest area of concern for the Giants or the Jets heading into the new season is what? And I'll give you mine. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. New England had second and goal from the four. They threw a little fade route to the corner of the end zone. And Aaron Robinson, the uh, secondary, the defensive back for the Giants, made a really, really nice play breaking it up as New England hits the extra point to make it 7-3. to three. And Robinson gives the exaggerated but incomplete sign, you know, crossing his arms across his chest as the official does on an incomplete pass. And I didn't see the entire play. I'm going to have to go back and look at it to make sure there was nothing more. But I didn't see anything more than just that. And they threw a flag for unsportsmanlike conduct, which was an automatic first down. And then New England ended up going at Robinson again, and this time scoring the touchdown and beating him. But if this is what the NFL is going to be in 2022, when a defensive back is penalized for unsportsmanlike conduct, for giving the incomplete pass signal after he forces an incomplete pass. Now, again, a lot of times these officials try to set the tone in the preseason when there aren't really high stakes. But I don't like to see that because there are high stakes for these players. There's high stakes for a lot of these players. You know, I I said before that this is a meaningless game. I'm speaking facetiously, of course. I mean, it's it's a meaningful game. It's not going to count for the standings, but for the Giants coaching staff, it's incredibly meaningful. For Daniel Jones, it's incredibly meaningful. For Giants fans, it's incredibly meaningful, especially when your team approaches it the way the Giants are approaching it tonight and playing your starters. It's our first look at Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau, and it is maybe our last first look at Daniel Jones as the Giants quarterback. 
And a guy like Robinson, who made a nice play and gives the incomplete sign, and all of a sudden, you throw a flag at the kid, you give the other team a first down that leads to a touchdown, that's a tough break. You know, he didn't get in the guy's face. As far as what I saw, like I said, I have to go back and make sure I'm not missing something. But anyway, before the break, I asked your biggest concern, if you're a Giants fan, if you're a Jets fan, the biggest concern for your team this year is what? And I'll give you mine, but uh, let me let some of you weigh in first. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Nick in Chicago. Nick, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks. Yeah, so I mean, what's biggest, going on? Yeah, biggest concern is that Jones does just enough at the end of the year. You know, the coaching staff isn't sure, you know, about the next move of quarterback. You know, he doesn't do, he doesn't do well enough where you're, you know, super confident confident in him for next year, but he doesn't do so poorly that, you know, it's an automatic decision um, to draft a quarterback early on in the first round next year. That's dangerous. I don't think that's going to be the case here, Nick, and it's because he was not drafted by this regime. You know, Daniel Jones, the last three seasons, or the last two seasons, really, uh, has done just enough to justify keeping his job. He did it year two. uh, He did it year three. I mean, the best thing that happened to Daniel Jones last season was when he missed the last six games, seeing just how bad the Giants were without him as quarterback. But the fact that Joe Shane and this regime did not give him the fifth-year option, they declined that, and the fact that they didn't draft him, I, I don't think I think he's going to have to prove that he is right in the range of at least a top 15 quarterback. And everything that I'm hearing, that doesn't sound overly likely this season, Nick. Yeah. All right, thanks for checking in. All right, uh, that's my biggest concern, too. My biggest concern for the Giants is Daniel Jones. You know, I just, the more I think about it, and I've been a defender of his, I really, I like the plays that he makes with his legs. Um, when, and, and I know this may sound stupid to say, but I, I don't know how to describe it any other way than this. When he's making plays, he looks really good. And I know that's just like a really simplistic, novice take on this particular quarterback but it's true that's how I feel when he's making plays he does look really good because he's big and he's strong he can see over the defense he has a pretty strong arm when he's accurate it looks good it's like a baseball team right anytime a baseball team is slumping they look lethargic right they just look like they're not playing hard they look lifeless I mean we've had this conversation about the Yankees in particular at various points over the last several years. On the opposite side, if you're watching a quarterback and he's hitting his receivers and he's accurate and he's moving his legs to get out of the pocket, he looks unstoppable. And in very, very, very small doses, Daniel Jones has looked like that. Look, Daniel Jones, and I go back to his second season as starter. Joe Judge's first season when the Giants were starting to put together a little bit of a run the latter half of that season. You know, they had the tough loss against Philadelphia. They had the terrible start record-wise. But even though their record was bad, what was it, 1-6 and six at one point, 1-7 and seven at one point? Even though the record was bad, this is two years ago. Jones's second season, Judge's first season, so 2020. Even though the record was bad, the Giants were competitive in nearly every single game early in that season. And you could see that they were close to a breakthrough. And then they kind of started to have that breakthrough. They, they beat the Eagles. They got back into the 
uh, hunt for the division championship in the NFC East, which they nearly won, even with a record of 6-10. and 10. And they were playing a game in Cincinnati against the Bengals, as Jones is out of the game now. Tyrod Taylor is in at quarterback. Um, they were playing a game against the Bengals, and, and I just remember watching every snap of that game, and, and there was a moment in the middle of that game where I started to think that Jones is starting to turn the corner. He's starting, you know, he had that also that great Monday night football comeback attempt against Tampa Bay that season where the Giants lost by two when they came up short on a two-point conversion when a flag wasn't thrown. It could have been pass interference. And that was a classic Daniel Jones game because he turned the ball over twice in that game, but he was really good late. Two years ago, you started to see signs that he was about to turn the corner. And in that Cincinnati game, he was threading the needle with passes. He was using his legs. It was all of the good that we've seen of Daniel Jones, and there hasn't been a lot of it, but it was all of that bottled up into one performance on that Sunday afternoon. And then he sprained his ankle, and then they lost him for a couple of weeks. I remember Colt McCoy had to come in the next week, and somehow they figured out a way to beat the Seahawks in Seattle. And then the next week, everything fell apart when McCoy had to start against the Cleveland Browns, and the Giants were absolutely trounced in that game. And then Jones tried to rush back in the game against Arizona because the Giants' playoff hopes were hanging by a thread, and Jones clearly wasn't healthy. He had a terrible game, and it was more, in my mind, injury-related than anything else because Jones, especially because his legs are so important to him, he was a statue that game. He couldn't get out of the pocket. He couldn't move around. But he's never really gotten back to that level. But here's the problem with, with that as your starting quarterback, right? Everything had to go right. You know, you can nitpick this went wrong, this went wrong, this went wrong. Unfortunately, there is a path for Daniel Jones, I, I think, to be a top 15 NFL quarterback. But everything has to go right for that to happen. Like, all of the planets have to align for that to happen. And unfortunately, that, that's, not, that's not the way the NFL works. You know, look at the Jets. The Jets have had, by all accounts, a really good offseason. They had a fantastic draft. They've got a solid line coming into camp. They've got a very intriguing stable of skill position players who have a lot of potential. And then right out of the gate, before they even play a preseason game, for the second year in a row, Makai Becton is going to miss the entire season. The planets don't always align in the NFL. In fact, they rarely do. So you can't pin your hopes on a quarterback and say, well, he can be really good if this, 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 and this all happen. No, that's not how it works. You know, you think they're saying that in Cincinnati right now. Well, if these six things happen, you know, Joe Burrow can go out and win us ball games. No, Joe Burrow can go out and win you ball games, even if those things do not happen. If three of those things don't happen, he can go out and win you a game. And that's the problem. The ceiling for Daniel Jones, as we're starting to see, and I'm saying starting to see because I was one of his last believers, one of his last defenders. I think there's a lot of people that started to see this a couple of years ago, and I wasn't one of them. I admit it. But it's starting to become clearer by the day. All right, one 800 More on this. Your biggest concern for the Jets this season is what? Jets start their preseason tomorrow night in Philadelphia, and we'll have that game for you right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Back with more of your calls, and uh, in a little while we'll get to the Yankees and hear what Aaron Boone had to say this afternoon on 98.7 ESPN New York. 
You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Final numbers for Daniel Jones. He led the team for two drives. He was 6 for 10 for 69 yards. He was sacked once, an 8-yard sack. Uh, Jones also ran for a first down, one 6-yard carry. Saquon Barkley, four carries for 13 yards. The two drives that Jones led while he was out there against New England, and again, the Patriots playing largely backups, mostly backups in this game. The two drives that Jones led, one resulted in a field goal, uh, and the other resulted in a punt. So uh, the 2022 preseason debut for Daniel Jones and the New York Giants against Brian Hoyer and the New England Patriots. It's 7-3 Pats early in the second quarter. Your biggest concern for the Giants or Jets is what? Let's go to Subi in Midtown. Subi, your biggest concern this season for the Jets is what? Hey, man, uh, regarding the Jets and Zach Wilson, his mental situation right now with uh, all the pressure being on in, in New York, I'm really wondering what these athletes can take and what they can't. You know, Derek Jeter says he wouldn't be able to survive in this media uh, storm that's been going on with Instagram and all that. I wonder what Zach Wilson can and cannot take. You know, he's a young guy, and all the reading the comments on his Instagram recently, it was very disturbing because he's still a young guy. He's still learning. And from what I know, that he's not doing anything majorly wrong. So I'm just wondering if the teammates have his back. And, you know, I just don't want to see – you know, 10 interceptions in the first 10 games or maybe less. I want to see like a consistent, you know, 50-50 ratio of touchdown interceptions. That's all I got to say. Thanks for the call, Subi. You, you you are concerned about that. For me, and, you know, my concern, my biggest concern about the Jets is my biggest concern about the Giants, and it's the quarterback. And it's too early to, and I said this, I've said this a couple of times, and I'll repeat. It's too early to say that I don't think Zach Wilson is the guy. He's played one season behind a lousy offensive line with depleted players around him on the offense, very, very much lacking in weapons. So this year should be a different story, different opportunity, different situation for Zach Wilson. That said, and I reserve the right to change my mind, and I hope he does change my mind, but just the eye test for me right now, even though he is, an, again, it's, it's similar to Jones. When, when Zach's using his legs and he's getting out of the pocket and he's throwing accurate passes on the run, he, run, he looks really good. He looks really good. Because, I mean, think about that. In New York, football fans here for 15 years, Eli Manning had a lot of success. But even when Eli Manning was winning, he didn't look pretty. When Mark Sanchez was leading the Jets to back-to-back AFC championship games, It didn't look pretty. You know, when Jones is on or when Zach Wilson is on, it looks pretty. It's something that we haven't seen a lot of in New York as football fans ever. That being said, you haven't seen it enough. I'm not going to sit here and say that Zach Wilson's not the guy, but I need to see a lot more before I think that he is the guy. All right, an update from the Giants preseason opener, and we'll get into the Yankees and their struggles as we continue on this Thursday night on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN.